I used to sit in the preschool in tears. People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, no, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> doesn't matter which school they go to as long as they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. From the news desk to the nursery. Mom! This is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. Yes, it's time to give back to the parents. After all, how many times do you stop what you're doing to answer a question, get a drink, or wipe someone's bottom, a child's bottom? Let's just be clear about that. The next half hour is all about talking like an adult, and I mean finishing a sentence, sharing our opinions. Our topics today are how we guide our boys to become men, What things make you see red when you're in the playground, where the stay-at-home dads are still a rare bird? And following on from what I like to call Peppergate, what cartoon character would you like to see bust out of the confines of their storyline? Joining me this week are Jacinta Tynan, Sky News presenter and author of Mother Zen, and Jason Truen from Babyology. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Now, I know it's been a little while in between drinks, so I just was wondering if you could refresh my memory in terms of your kids, who they are, what ages, and a little bit about their personalities. Jason? Sure. Um, I have two. Uh, Sam, he's seven. Um, he's a real little me, I guess, um, <laughs> but he's quickly becoming um, um, a little man as well. He uh, He's like me a lot, except he's better at maths already, and he likes to wake up early. Oh, Thanks for that, Sam. Um, at 6 a.m. every day, unlike me, who's hugging the bed. And then Frances, she's three. She's my own little three-nager, insists on doing everything herself at the moment. So currently making toast takes about half an hour as she slowly <laughs> spreads the peanut butter. And um, mashes the bread while she's doing it, yeah, right? Yeah, and insists on pouring the two-litre milk on her wheat bix. So oh. sometimes there's a litre on the floor, but it's, <laughs> I'm amazed you let them. I just say, nope, I'm doing it. Yeah, that's that's the Montessori method right there. Jace is letting them experience it. Good on you. I think that's great. Jacinta, tell us about your boys. I've got two little boys and the oldest, Jasper, is eight and Otis is six. Although whenever I say that, he says, I'm not six. Sorry, you're six and a half. Mm. And they are boys. Crazy little energetic little puppies. I was just watching them at the beach last night or yesterday afternoon, actually, and I did say to my friend, they're like puppies. They just roll around and wrestle, and then they're in the sand, and then they're jumping, and they're lovely. And then you have to feed and water them. It is a bit like that, and Mm. lead them into bed. I I love watching them evolve, like we all do with our kids. I love watching their personalities develop, and and they are more intelligent than me and wiser than me, the things they come out with. Oh, well, we'll see. (laughs) So um, let's get on with the show. In just a moment, what does healthy masculinity look like, and how can we help our boys achieve it? So much fun to bring those songs back. Respected parenting author Steve Bidoof is about to release his new book, Raising Boys in the 21st Century. And this week he wrote an article for Fairfax Media arguing that boys have lost time with the men in their lives, mainly their dads, and that this is hurting them because they don't have these role models to show them the way to be men. He says masculinity is being defined by very fixed and narrow stereotypes and that we're at a point of crisis. Jacinta, do you agree with this article? Do you think our boys have lost this clear way to transition to manhood? 
I think it's getting better. When Steve Bidoff talks himself about when he first wrote his book, uh, that it was Raising Boys, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. That when he did that, the research showed that men spent eight minutes a day with their children, and so that those he's he's also acknowledged that that's a lot better than it was. But obviously, there is still a shift that needs to take place. That men are the breadwinners, and they're out hunting all day, and women are at home nurturing the children. What I find is it's not about the time that you spend with your child; it's about the quality of that time. If you're going to be there, then be there. And so I think what happens with, uh, you can't generalise, women do it as well, but you see the dads come home and they're busy and they're, they're stressed from their day at work. And so do they know that they're allowed to drop everything and just get on the floor and start building the Lego and being present with their child? And I think that's where the problem lies. But Steve also points out in that article himself that there are many different types of male role models. So we don't want to get stereotyped and say, this is the type of man you need to be. As a mother of young boys, and I'm a single mother of young boys, I I feel this huge weight of responsibility for raising good men. And they do, they've got their dads there too, that we co-parent. And so they do have good male role models, but it's not about being a bloke and, <laughs> and being a good man. It, being a good man is actually about showing your emotions, being vulnerable, being kind, being compassionate. That's the stuff that we need to teach these boys. And there is a shift going on with with that, with our understanding that men need that. And if they don't, they end up as, if little boys don't receive that, they end up as troubled men. Can I also say, you know, that song, Cats in the Cradle, is it, is, who sings that again? Cat, Cat Stevens. In the, Cat, how could I forget? I love Cat Stevens. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. And the lyrics are, little old boy and the man in the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. We'll get together then. And that song, I cry every time I hear it. And my little boys have started reciting the lyrics because what that song is saying, if you're like that with your child, they're going to be like that with you because they don't learn from hearing, they learn from role modelling. So if dad, for example, sake, because that's what we're talking about, if dad isn't present, then they're not going to be present with dad later on. So those mm. relationships have to be established. Jason, you strike me as the kind of dad who does get home and gets on the floor and plays Lego I, I sometimes think that maybe you might even take over the Lego set. Maybe it's handball at the moment, actually. <laughs> so handball at 7am and handball at 5 o'clock when I get home when we play for <laughs> yeah. Okay, so from your perspective, you're kind of, I mean, if we talk about what's happening with Me Too and all this idea about um, toxic masculinity, you're a man. Yes, yes. <laughs> you are I've a noticed, man. Yeah. yeah. Do you think about this stuff much? I mean, are you are you thinking about Sam and how he might grow up to be a, a, a man that embraces healthy masculinity? Um, yeah, I think about it a lot. I guess a lot of it's innate, though. You're not kind of going, "How am I going to raise my son to be a man and my daughter to be a woman?" Just yet. Maybe it's because they're still quite young at the moment. My focus is just raising them as good people. I think that's respectful, resilient. Um, basically, so they don't just grow up to be an a-hole, I think. Um, <laughs> but just, yeah, those kind of, I think they're, those traits and qualities that I would like to see in them are universal to both genders. And in terms of the time that you spend with them, uh, I know that you're a very involved parent and that you love to hang out with your kids. And it seems like Sam is a mini-me of you. You play games together, you do all sorts of things together. Um, do you see that as a common thing in amongst your friends? Like Jacinta was mentioning that there's a shift now and that boys are being encouraged to show their emotions, to be more nurturing. Um, 
Are you unique or do you think that your peers are similar to the way you approach parenthood? I see a lot of it in my peers as well. I, but then I am also wary, I guess, that it, maybe that's my bubble and they're out there. It's very hard to generalise, I think. Um, I would like to think that people are more engaged. Um, I think that's, you know, the way that society is looking and that's the kind of expectations now. Like even looking back at how my father and my stepdad raised me, I think a lot's changed in just one generation Mm. Um, so hopefully it continues as we go on. I have to bring up this point. I did actually have dinner with Jason last night and we were chatting about things and he showed me, you showed me a picture of your kids asleep in, um, they'd fallen asleep in the same bed and you were talking about how Sam is getting closer to Francis and that they crept into bed together. At the time you showed me the picture, you said it makes my heart melt. And at the time it really stuck with me because I don't actually hear men speaking that way about their kids generally. Like, I know men love their children, but that seemed like a very expressive way to speak about their kids. And I'm just wondering, do you think when you talk about your dad and your stepdad raising you, is that something you feel they influenced you in? Or is it of, are you of your time? Like, did your peers influence how you feel about expressing yourself that way? Yeah, I think back then um, in that generation, maybe they felt it but said it less. I think now it's a much more open time um, to be able to say that. Um, yeah, maybe I'd had a couple of beers by then as well. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I would say that any time. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just now it's, it's safe, not safer, but it's more conducive to be able to say what you feel. Mm. And um, I guess I'm a bit older as well now, so you can you have confidence in who you are and that it doesn't take anything away from your masculinity to say, you know, such cute things, I guess. Oh, no, I love it. Okay. Well, next we're going to talk about playground etiquette. What are the rules? Can I just say that I don't love the playground? <laughs> it's not my favourite place to go with the kids. I'm, I'm trying to find... Th- I like Lego. I like making things. Pushing someone on the swing is not my idea of fun, but it is an essential ingredient of being a family because kids love it. So once you're there... What do you understand about playground etiquette? Kindling Online editor Lucy Kippis recently wrote about five simple rules that we should all follow at the playground. Jacinta, when I said I didn't love the playground, you looked at me and I couldn't decipher that look, whether you love it or you hate it. How do you feel about the playground? I need I need to just clarify something first for Cat Stevens. Harry Chapin is ah. the... The, uh, cats in the Cradle. Oh, I love that you had Cats in the Cradle. You are such I knew a it. journalist. No, I just knew it wasn't cat because I love my cat. So playground etiquette, I, I was thinking about this and I remember a friend said to me once that don't ever lament your – or not lament, don't ever – resist going to the playground with your children because one day you're going to walk past a playground and they're not going to want to go in anymore. That has stayed with me. So my kids are still in the playground. They still love it. And I do have those days like any mother where I think, oh, do I have to? But Because I don't want to stand there pushing the swim, swing forever. But I re- that really helped me, that little piece of information from a friend whose children were older because I, I think try and get into this moment because it's going to be gone one day. Okay, and- so do, are those moments ever... Um- 
tense because of playground etiquette. I'm wondering if you have any particular rules you think parents should follow. So I thought about that and I thought, I, I've i never come across anything. So I'm thinking that parents are pretty well behaved. So let's not worry about the kids. The kids have their moments. We know that. There's always meltdowns there. So you spend your whole time in the playground with your child coming running up to you, don't you, saying, I just got pushed off the swing. That that kid won't let me on the boat. All that goes on. But the parents are really respectful. Like they'll say, now, now, you know, give them a Toby, turn. Toby, it's so and so and so's turn. Now you've been on there for two minutes and I know that I'm like that. So I think that the parents have got it all together in there. Am I missing something? You are so missing something, Jacinta. You're going to the nice yeah, playground. Yeah, where's that playground? <laughs> I remember my, my, my boy got bit in the playground once. Ooh. Is that the correct, correct English? Bit. Got bit was bitten and a mother came up to me and said I'm so sorry my little boy just and my my Jasper's crying and that boy bit me I'm so, how can we make it up to you well see only last weekend we were in a playground and my my son is a swing hog he will stay on the swing forever and he was waiting and I might be biased but my son is the cutest child in the world and he was sitting there standing there you know obviously waiting for the swing looking and this mum pushed her little boy for ages and ages and then once she finished called over her other son <gasps> put That's him on the swing on. put him on the swing while my little boy was and I was far enough away that he looked like he was on his own and then she started pushing her other son and then she walked away so she wasn't even going to stay there and monitor her son. And I was... What did you there do, Siobhan? Well, my husband was nearby and he is um, <clears throat> a little bit more assertive in the playground than me. And he was just like, don't worry, Arlo, it'll be your turn soon. Like very loudly. Passive aggressive. Yeah, he's it's totally passive aggressive. It's but the best way to be in the playground. <laughs> Are you, is that how you deal with things? Uh, yeah, the other day we took the kids down the park and there was a birthday party. It was a frozen birthday party. And they'd actually not just taken the swings, but the whole kind of playground equipment and dressed it up as a oh. frozen kind of castle. And my daughter tried to go up the stairs and then two girls were that. like, no, you can't come in. This is our castle and no. etc." So I had to have some polite yet stern words. To uh, the kids or to the parents? Uh, to the kids, just to let them on. I said, you know, let it go. Uh, you know, this is for everyone. And uh, Did you sing it or just say it? Uh, they would have left the, the playground, I think, if I'd started well, you singing. you should have tried that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's interesting because in different parts of Australia, I'm sure there are different um, rules around how you use a playground. I know where I am in Sydney, you actually have to pay if you want to take over a certain area, even in the park. And I've looked into it and it's very expensive. So people should learn to share. Yeah, I think the parents were a bit. They did offer us a go on the frozen jumping castle, but oh. we were pretty tired by then. Oh, that was nice. I should have jumped on it. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Jacinta Tynan. She's a Sky News presenter and author of Mother Zen and Jason Truen from Babyology. Up next, are stay-at-home dads becoming more common? Get up on my shirt. That's probably the best line in that song. A new report from the Australian Institute of Family Studies has found that stay-at-home dads have increased from 4.2% in 2011 to 4.6% in 2016, which is to say it hasn't increased by much at all. And I'm wondering how this stacks up against our experience as parents. 
Jacinta, have you noticed that there aren't that many stay-at-home dads in your circle of friends? You don't see a lot of them, as if they're a different species. The way I'm talking, you don't see them much. A rare breed. <laughs> Endangered. But but there are they are around. And but what I found is that I am guilty of this myself, where there've been the stay-at-home dads when we've been at the the kids doing sport, or you know, before my kids started school. There'd be a lot of that, or at the uh, the, the dancing, or whatever. And we don't include them. The mums, we all the mums all chat, and we're all doing our thing, and we'll, we're gossiping away. And I, I know I'm conscious of it. I can think of a few examples, and I've said, "Oh, there's the dad over there," and I'll say hi, really friendly, but we don't say, "Come over and join us." And maybe it's because we think they wouldn't want to listen to the us all sitting around talking about nothing. So I think they feel a bit left out. And I do have a friend who did it for a while, stayed at home for a while, and he said that he said he would. Oh, actually, no, he worked shift work, so he was often at home with with their child, and he would go to that. What's it called, Jimbaroo? And he said, the mums don't talk to me. So that that could be a really lonely experience for them. The stigma, I think, is still there, whether we admit it or not. It's just an undertone. It's just a subtle, why is he at home? Just just need to know. Just want to clarify why. You you just hear those questions. Or once I've got that sorted, I'm okay with it. But people want to know why. They wouldn't ask that of a woman. But the other thing I find is, and I'm generalizing here, people, stay-at-home dads, I am generalizing. But what you do see a little bit, and I have seen this with a few of my friends, is that even the dads who are staying at home and therefore should be responsible for all that domestic load are not. So the husband and wife are still in there, fall into those uh, g- those gender traps and the, those traditional gender roles, even though she's out breadwinning and he's at home. So one of my friends was in this scenario and he still the, – the, her – Ex-husband, I shouldn't have, <laughs> but he still wouldn't do any of the shopping or any of the cooking, and and she was still doing all that stuff. He was taking them to school and back again, but then it, he felt like he needed a rest during the day, so he might go to the gym or go and get a coffee. The women don't tend not to do that; be off going to the gym and getting coffees. They're trying to hold the family up, so she was exhausted doing it all. Yeah. And it's called, they call it the list. Social researchers call it the list. That the woman is still responsible for the list, which is the headspace. So even if she's not there doing it all, she's at work thinking, oh gosh, hang on, we've got that birthday party on Saturday, texting the husband, make sure you you pick up that birthday present. So even if he is pulling his weight, she's got it all in her head. I think this is a hard one because I'm pretty sure that Jason is a fairly evolved kind of (laughs) man, dare I say it. Most of the time. Most of the time he's fairly evolved. Um, And uh, again, I hark back to uh, a conversation we had recently where you were talking about planning for your wife's birthday which happens to be today. And happy, happy birthday, birthday, Helen. Helen, yeah, we should have got the song. Got the song I'm yeah. sure she's, she's never, never heard, heard it. it before, actually. <laughs> happy birthday, Helen. I hope you're having a lovely, lovely day wherever you are. Um, but she's at the gym. <laughs> she's doing something, working. No, um, hopefully she's relaxing. But I remember at the time you said you'd planned her present, you'd planned, you even had bought a card and then you'd freaked out that you hadn't and then you found that you had. And that to me speaks of a level of organisation that is what, in my experience, women tend to do. I'm totally going on a tangent here. We're talking about the emotional load here and relating to stay-at-home dads. Um, Do you think that it is still a thing let's let's start with the emotional load do you think that you or your wife carry that or do you think that it's shared in your house Uh, I think it's shared maybe there's two versions of the list I think and um, they overlap and then some don't like I every morning um, my wife will put out the kids clothes for the next you know for for that morning where 
but then I will look after lawn care and the gardening, etc. So I guess she's doing that every day and I only have to mow the lawn every fortnight. So <laughs> maybe that's not the best example. That makes me look the best. But um, You remember yeah. presents. But we have our, I think sometimes we've had arguments before because we're not ticking off the same things from the list. But because we have slightly different skill sets, I kind of double down on certain things. Yeah. Um, where And she might do it for others as well. So. And you did spend some time at home looking after the kids as well at one point, didn't you? Yeah. So three months after my um, firstborn, um, uh, Sam came into the world. I um, got made redundant, um, which wasn't exactly the plan, but I got to become a stay-at-home dad and I freelanced a couple of days as well. And then... Um, after about six months, I got a new job and it was part-time, so we shared. So I don't know that many stay-at-home dads myself that are full-time stay-at-home, but a lot of um, my friends and couples now share it. They do three days each. Um, um, can we go back to that time when you were at home with Sam? What was that experience like? Because three months is very young for a baby to, to be at home with a baby and be the main carer. What was it like for you? Um, oh, I, we kind of shared it because my wife was actually home at the time as well and I was freelancing. Um, but it was, I mean, and then she went back to work and so I had Sam three or four days a week. Um, and yeah, it was, I guess it's probably similar to the way um, a woman would experience. It's kind of isolating. You kind of have your set routine or getting up to the, the cafe to get your coffee is sometimes a big achievement. We went to the same playground, ordered the same sushi um, and kind of mix it up with meeting up with friends. But it does feel... Did you feel that isolation that Jacinta was talking about, like that mums didn't always chat to you when you were the only dude there? Yeah, often it would end up talking to the nannies, like they seemed a bit more open. I don't know why. Um, um, yes, but there would be maybe like the, maybe they'd organised to meet up with all their kids and I hadn't. So, But I kind of didn't expect them to welcome me with open arms as well. Into why that not? circle, yeah, because oh, I didn't know them. You know what I mean? It'd just be like ra- random in the, the playground. Thing is, we don't know it. Women don't know each other either, but they're still more accepting of other mums than yeah. maybe dads who are at home. There's also, I think, this is more subtle, but and we're getting into a whole another another topic here. But I think there's also that underlying thing of it might be a bit inappropriate to be sitting around chatting with the with the husband. My that, husband, no. Can I just say that, my that. husband loved that part about being a stay-at-home dad, that women were all talking to him and he'd be there going, yes, aren't I amazing? I look after the children. That's why I was talking to the nannies. <laughs> <laughs> Helen might be listening, remember. We've already said happy birthday. Um, and I'm wondering on, that, on the front of stigma, um, did you ever feel that people were a little bit um, sort of like, oh, why are you staying at home with the kids? Why aren't you working? Did you get any of that? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I do explain it. I don't know if it's the stigma or such, but it was kind of a bit of an oddity. Like, oh, how did you end up in those circumstances? Um, those circumstances. <laughs> That's what I was saying. We just need to, it's like people just need to know. And once I've heard it, I'm cool with it. But I just want to know why this man is here. But it is changing. And I think it will take a long time. Like, obviously, these traditions and, you know, the way that um, have been evolving for a long time. And now we're kind of undoing that. And now, you know, there are stay-at-home dads a lot more. Hopefully there'll be more and more in the future. But it's going to take time, I think, as well, for people to kind of wrap their heads around it. But it's a positive It's a positive thing. All right. Well, in a moment, we're going to talk about Peppergate. What happens when cartoons depart from their character brief? What are you doing? I'm learning to whistle, but I can't do it yet. Hmm, that sounds hard. It's impossible. Uh, can you whistle, Susie? No. Oh, good. 
I mean, that's sad if you can't whistle, but good because I can't whistle. What's whistling anyway? You put your lips together and blow like this. <whistles> Hello, Peppa. So basically, if you haven't seen the clip, what happens there, you could probably tell, is that uh, Peppa Pig couldn't whistle, wanted to get some reassurance from her friend Susie the Sheep. Uh, Susie was trying to give her comfort but then discovered she could whistle, at which point Peppa just lost it and hung up on her. And now the internet went crazy over this. Like you would think that um, somehow the sugary sweet Peppa Pig, I don't know, had ripped off her dress and got her nose pierced or something. But... Really, she just hung up on Susie's sheep, but everyone loved it. So I'm wondering, Jacinta, Jason, if there is a cartoon character that you would like to see throw over the convention of what their storyline has given them. I miss Peppa Pig. I don't watch it anymore. The boys stretched it out for... Just like you miss it? I do miss it. It's what, it's such a great cartoon and that reminded me that I thought, go Peppa, because I think I had, I'm a bit of a fan of Peppa and I can't recall any other cartoons. They're not coming back to me, but the boys stretched out Peppa for quite a while. I think they'd still watch it now if they could. Mm. I wanted to say that, that before we get on to what would I want to see change, that is an awesome cartoon and Peppa is, that's so cool that she did that Just because it's, because it's, it's not very evolved, but that's what we do we just go you know what go away I don't, I, don't, I don't need to see that but how about Miss Rabbit she is amazing and I've said to the boys before watching Peppa Pig look at Miss Rabbit she's the I had to remind myself but she's the firefighter she's the bus driver she's an engineer she runs a recycling plant she's a librarian and they're all, and the mum and mummy pig is on the computer at home and I remember I it came back to me one of my boys when they were really young saying mummy pig working you know, they, they yeah. kids get to see these Pick things, and that's just things. normal. That's just what happens. And their mummy pig is also on the computer, so <laughs> they get to see that. So uh, because I don't watch a lot of cartoons at the moment, I can't think of any specific characters I'd want to see rejigged, but they all need, apart from Pepper, a bit of a lesson in the gender stereotyping and the sexualization of the characters. So you still see the girls with the tight little waists and the boobs and the... Massive the, eyes. The Every massive cartoon eyes, has huge right. eyes and think... Ugh. And all the... Even though the, they're action figures, they're, they're still wearing stilettos and running around. So hopefully that's starting to shift. I remember seeing Gina Davis, the actress, speaking at the All About Women conference in Sydney. It was last year, actually. And she runs that gender diversity organisation in the US and is um, committed to... Uh, increasing gender equality in film and television and so on. And, and she talked about children's programming. And what she was saying is we need to be commentators when our children are watching television and cartoons and be over their shoulders because because these shows still are alarming in their um, gender disparity. We need to be over our kids' shoulders saying, oh, why is she dressed like that when she's trying to rescue, you know, someone? Why couldn't shouldn't she have a bit more comfortable if she was wearing a pair of jeans, wouldn't she, or whatever? And... So that we're showing them that it's not normal. And also, how come there's only one girl in that and there's four boys? Even that, what is it, uh, the one about the puppy? What's his Paw Patrol. <laughs> Paw Patrol. There's, there's, a, there's Sky, but she's in a pink helicopter, I think, isn't she? So the, the ratio is really thwarted. And also, as Gina points out, look at crowd scenes. And ever since I heard Gina say this, Gina and I were on first name basis. Oh, so there's best friends. Ever since Obviously. I heard her say this, I look at crowd scenes in kids' shows... And you have a little count, 
and there's hardly any women. And as she said to the crowd of women at the All About Women Festival, what are they saying? Women don't gather? (laughs) (laughs) Where are the women in the crowds? Women are the ones who form crowds. So, yeah, we need to watch out for that and kind of tell the kids that this isn't normal. Except who has the time to sit there and... No, over but, but Jason is definitely still in the trench lands of cartoon watching, I would say, because, you know, he. when you said that you miss Peppa Pig, the look of, um, I'm not sure what kind of, is like, really? On your face. So um, if you had to overthrow a character trait, you know, in a cartoon character, what would it be and what would they do? Oh, there's so many. So, yes, you, um, you mentioned Miss Rabbit. Um, I think she should break out and finally quit her job and just the whole town would fall apart. <laughs> totally, um, yes. Um, I like the Teletubbies to finally break out and go clubbing like they were always born to do. I think, I think they are. I <laughs> think that's on, the they're on idea. the edge. They're on the edge, but just go all in and probably most importantly see uh, my favourite and when I say that I don't mean he's my favourite, uh, Norman from Fireman oh, Sam. Finally break Norman. out and become the psychopathic arsonist. <laughs> He's always had inside, and then finally, hopefully, he'll get jailed and leave the show. And then we won't have to listen to him anymore. That is something you are having relief from there, Jacinta, I've got to say. Um, Well, that is very entertaining. I would just have to add that for me, it's Nanny Plum on Ben and Holly is telling King Thistle to... You know, stick the feather duster where the sun don't shine, really. (laughs) Honestly, the way he orders her around, I know she's the nanny, but anyway. Jacinta, Jason, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's fun. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel, new episodes every Friday.